0: Hey guys, Miller, welcome to this week's installment of Dallas podcast. We are continuing the Maranatha theme, looking at the plan of redemption through the Abrahamic covenant, uh, Genesis 12 through 17. It is rocking. I'm so excited about what God's revealing, uh, not only about what he has spoken, but uh, what what it means for us today and in the future. So um, buckle up, get your Bibles out. Let's go. Well, I'm excited to preach tonight. I want to continue our series that we've been doing, Maranatha. Uh, Before I get into that, I want to pray. Uh, Again, I'm just deeply convicted about what God wants to do on Sunday nights. I mentioned this to you last week. Uh, I, I feel it is my assignment. I don't know how long it's going to be, whether it's for the next couple of weeks, couple of months, but Sunday night is on my heart. When I wake up in the morning, after I spend time with my wife and kids and I start thinking about upper room, I think about this room. I think about your faces. I think about your hearts. I think about what you're facing. And uh, I am gripped by God uh, to get you ready for what's ahead, especially if you're under the age of 30 you're under the age of 30, can I just, can I let you know something like this is free. Eric Colton, what's up, bro? Glad you're here, man. Um, if you're under the age of 30, this is just take a deep breath and say, I have not arrived. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Actually, if you're over the age of 30, take a deep breath and say, I have not arrived. <laughs> and if Yes, we none of us have arrived, but we're on a journey, and um, and so I, but specifically, if if you're under the age of 30, uh, I I could prove it to you, I don't want to get too deep into this revelation. But your life is marked by warfare, and uh, you are you are marked by promise, but you're living for that promise. One day you'll live from it, and some of you may be. Tasting it and getting into it, but I, I believe there's something about your 30s where it moves from living for something to living from it, and you just need to, to 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 take it easy and to give yourself a lot of grace. If you're in your 20s, if you have a lot of questions, if you have a lot of uh, insecurities, and it seems like you're just limping, I, I want you to know that you're not alone, and that His grace is sufficient in your weakness. And that you're with like-minded, like-hearted people that are going after the same thing. And if you keep showing up here on Sunday nights, your life will be marked. I deeply believe that. And uh, I I know it because I gave my heart to the Lord in a setting like this when I was in my 20s. Bloody, muddy, man, just kind of limping through. And I kept showing up. and. I kept getting leverage and kept getting better understanding of who I was in the Lord. And I did it with like-minded, like-hearted people that I've now been running with for over 20 years. Uh, Not all of them are still around with us. People get married, move on. But a core, core, core group of the upper room are those young adults, man, that I started running with in a setting like this. And so if you're a young adult, this is really good soil to bury your life in. Those seeds that are crying out every day to be watered and, those things God has planted in you, your seeds have needs, and it needs soil like this community to bear your life in. Uh, one of the things the Lord told me in 2017 is he's about to bring a lot of millennials. And, Michael, your, your assignment is to teach them to die. <laughs> Because that's where it all begins in following Jesus. You you you've got to lose your life in order to find it. You've got to pick up your cross daily, and uh, the Christian life is found on the cross. Uh, he willingly laid his life down, and we willingly lay ours uh, in order to find his. And so, um, you know, crucifixion is a process. For Jesus, it took you know three to six hours, however long that took on that afternoon. For us, it takes a lifetime. Uh, that I've been crucified with Christ, that I no longer live, but he lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for me. And so we fight the good fight of faith. We test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And, uh, and so I just, I want to help you in that. I want to, Sunday nights, again, my heart is here. My heart is with you. Uh, And so if you're uh, call-up room home, I'm honored to be your pastor and excited about what God has in store for us. Uh, We're taking a a pretty significant um, look at this word Maranatha. Uh, We're looking at it from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not totally certain when we're gonna end this and where it's, I mean, I think I know where it's going, but sometimes you start out on a journey and you don't know exactly how you're going to get there, but we're going to get there, uh, around just the second coming of Jesus and, um, the gospel, the gospel is that he came, but he's coming. The gospel is that God became flesh and Jesus is the revealed will of God. He came as a lowly servant. He conquered sin, death, and the grave, but he's returning as a king. And, and we need both revelations. We, we need to understand what the Bible has to say about the days ahead, especially in light of what's happening culturally, because there are birth pains today uh, that we need to be aware of. And the number one warning we see about the days we're living in is don't be deceived. And uh, it doesn't take a genius just to figure out that there's a lot of deception right now. Just in, like, <laughs> the news, much less you know, theological things, but just the news. Who do we trust? What do we trust? And there's never been a better time for you to submit your mind to the scriptures and to really take a deep dive into this. And I, I believe that Gen Z specifically, but, but even millennials, I believe there's a hunger for more. I believe there's a hunger for more than a 20-minute motivational message. I really believe that there's a hunger for deep truth to get off the milk and dive into the meat of the word. Uh, Some of you need to sign up for our USM class. We walk through the Bible in a year. Uh, There's a lot. I I could get into the school thing, but I don't want to do an Info Mart for Upper Room School of Ministry. Uh, I want you to put your hand on your heart and say, Jesus, may your word pierce, cut, divide, do whatever it wants to do tonight in me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen and amen. All right. Look at this. I have a board. I don't know if you noticed but I have a board. Is there a pen over there? Oh, look at that. I have a pen too. Um, Okay, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Genesis. Uh, I really want you to take notes on Sunday nights. Um, Hopefully you could continue your notes from last week. So last week we talked about Maranatha and we defined the problem. We defined what happened, and we looked at what happened in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. The fall of man happened after the fall of Satan. The fall of Satan is real. Satan is a created being. He was uh, outside of the triune God. He was, he was the next down. Uh, heaven was a hi- hierarchical order. Um, he was a prince angel. He was an archangel, and uh, he took a third of the angels with him. A third of the angels, which is insane to think about. This week, I was, you know, I oftentimes, re, the Lord relates to me as a leader, just because I lead, I lead people, and sometimes people, you know, do wonky things. You can treat them well and love them right, and they still do wonky things, and uh, and I was just so relating, the Lord was relating to me as a leader, and thinking that he created a third. You know, 100% of these angels that are ministering servants of his, and one-third of them fell. It just felt like, from his perspective, like, oh. Anyways, I detached that emotion. There's no more than that. But there was a fall, a massive fall. A third of the angels fell. And in Genesis 1-2, we see chaos, disorder, darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering above that. I believe that was the fallen uh, demonic realm, and God starts creating order uh, from that place in Genesis one two, and so if you want to look at that message, please look at that. Um, but the beautiful news, even before the fall of Satan, before the fall of man, uh, God had a plan, and that plan, that plan is firm. That plan is is uh, sure. It's solid. And it's a plan before anything existed, including angels. And it was a plan of redemption. It was a, a plan that God made with God. And in the, the center of everything, the center of all that exists, is upon the covenant that God made with himself. And even as I'm, even, even as I'm sharing that, something witnesses inside of you. Like, it gives you hope to realize that, that like, the future's not in jeopardy. Like the future isn't uncertain. The future as the church based upon scriptures is our friend. Why? Because we have a God who's committed to redeeming the created order. And he has provided all that we need. He's reconciling the world through this plan. And that plan was centered upon a man who was God and his name was Jesus. It's so crucial that you get this. Jesus is not like any other person that walked the earth. Jesus, I think it's C.S. Lewis, he's either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Like there's no in-between in what he said and what he presented. He, he's not just, uh, you know, some, some recast him as a divine being. He, he's not just divine. He wasn't just sent from heaven. He was He was deity there's a difference between deity and divinity. He was deity, he was God in the flesh. He wasn't just like a representative, like an angel and a messenger from God. He was God in the flesh, coming to us. Every other religion, you've gotta go to God, but in Christianity, God came to us. Every other religion is about you working your way to him. But the beauty of Christianity is that Jesus met us As God in our messed up, broken, dilapidated, deformed, twisted, perverted, like distorted image of him that we were to bear, sin had completely marred and marked it. And Jesus said, I'm going to become like them. He came on a rescue mission to rescue us from what we were bound by. And I have good news. He accomplished that mission. Colossians 1, it says he rescued us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, which means you can be under the lordship of Jesus. You can be in his kingdom tonight. And if Jesus is Lord, the good news is that he's Lord of Lords, which means there's no other lord he's lord of all he's lord of lords he's king of kings he's the name above all names like he's the bees knees he is like it there's no one like him and when you are submitted to him and he's lord of your life nothing nothing can be lord of you There's no stronger force than him. There's no stronger power. He is the highest authority, and power is exercised through authority. If you are under the authority of something other than Jesus, it's because you have opened a door for it. It's through humility and submission and obedience, man, that we line up our lives with his authority. And so if you're demonized, if there's like, addictions and oppression and weird stuff going on, we need to repent of that. We need to confess our sins, repent, change our thinking, and come under the lordship of Jesus. That's why the word of God is so important. It doesn't matter what you think. This is like God. The Bible says our thoughts, his thoughts are not ours, but he gave us his thoughts. And he wants to renew our minds so that we can think as he thinks. Okay. Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 9. That's where we're going to start. We'll give you a lot of Bible tonight. Uh, The first 12 chapters of Genesis the Beginning, it's a 2,000 year period, so a lot of time happened in 12 chapters, and a lot that happened uh, was not that great. <laughs> like um, Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9, he it's genealogies, 5, uh, 4, 5, and then 6. We pick up the Noahic account, which you know what happened with Noah. Um, God floods the earth. He destroys the earth. He destroys uh, mankind. uh, But finds uh, Noah as that 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 seed of redemption. So let let me repeat last week, just because each time I teach, I want to I want to mention this scripture. It's Genesis chapter 3.15. So we talked about the problem. We talked about the fall. We talked about the serpent that lied to Eve. We talked about the five I wills of Satan. Remember that last week? About I will ascend. Uh, he, he, He made some agreements in his heart that ultimately were centered in pride, rooted in self. He wanted to exalt himself above the Lord and pride goes before the fall, Satan fell. And uh, and a curse ensues. He curses Satan or the serpent and then he curses Uh, the woman, and he curses man. And when he's cursing the serpent, there's this scripture that's really, really important for you to understand the, the redemptive plan found in scriptures. Remember the plan of redemption? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Huddle. They're in agreement. We're gonna redeem whatever happens. They began creating. Well, you see the redemptive plan come through Genesis 3.15. So throw this up here. Genesis 3.15. Bada boom, Bada bing. Art, my man. There we go. Uh, and I will put enmity. Enmity means hatred, hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Talking about the lineages, talking about their downlines, talking about their descendants. He shall bruise you on the head, he meaning the seed of the woman, and you, the serpent, shall bruise him on the hill. It's a prophetic picture of the cross. Uh, Jesus was bruised on the heel, but it wasn't a fatal wound. Christ woo, crushed Satan. A head wound is a fatal wound. But this is a prophecy of two seeds. And these, uh, the seed that would come through the woman is the seed of redemption. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. And tonight, uh, we're going to look at... Uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham and why that's important for us as new covenant believers. Because I believe that this one covenant, the covenant of Abraham, Jesus ultimately would uh, be the seed, as we talked about. Galatians 3 says that he was the seed um, prophesied through Abraham. Uh, But the covenant that God made with Abraham, it's still intact. It's still in play. There was a covenant that he made not only with Abraham, but with the descendants of Abraham that we've been grafted into. But tonight we're going to talk about the purpose of the Hebrew people. Uh, We're going to talk about the promise that he made with land and why land is important. Uh, There is a promised land. You've heard that term. Uh, The book of Joshua, the the Israelites are going into that promised land. Uh, But I'm going to show you where that promise began and where that fits into our theology and eschatology or looking at the end times tonight. Uh so in order to do that I got a lot of work to do but I want to look at the seed of redemption in uh, Noah just for a second. So God looks at the earth, he's not going to strive with mankind anymore. The Nephilim had come down and that's a whole other study that I'm not going to get too deep into tonight. But man got twisted, man. It just got twisted. It got it got weird. It got weird. It got so weird that God said, "I'm starting over." So he floods the earth and he picks Noah But Noah, Noah is carrying that seed of redemption. Although all is wiped out, God's plan is still intact. And in Genesis chapter nine, uh, uh, they make a covenant, establishes this rainbow, which we talked about creativity. Oftentimes Mark's covenant, there's a sign from the place of covenant. Uh, Noah gets drunk on the vineyard and um, some weird things happen with his sons, two of his sons, uh, cover him, but one of his son does not. And, um, you know, th- 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 there's a lot, you can read into uh, what Ham probably did to his father. I'm not going to get too deep into that, but it was enough that Noah curses one of his son and blesses the other two. So the first son that he cursed is a son by the name of Ham. We're going to go to the board. Oh, yeah. All right. The first, uh, thank you. Look at that. I got the same reaction this morning. Look at that. You guys are too easily impressed. (laughs) I got the same thing this morning. Everybody's like, whoa, the (laughs) All right. These are the, these are the descendants of Noah and it's important. Because uh, these descendants would populate the earth and it's going to, this is where we're going to pick up with Abraham is from these descendants would come 70 nations. All right. But I want you to see something through these descendants. Uh, the first one's Ham. Ham is who he curses. Ooh, I forgot, forgot how to use this. Ham is who he curses. So Ham in verse uh, Genesis 9, 24, now Noah awoke from his wine and he knew what his youngest son Ham had done to him. So he said, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. So Ham is the people in Canaan. All right. And then he blesses the other two sons. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. So you have the God of Shem. Guess who came through Shem? Abraham, who we're going to talk about tonight. So Abraham came Isaac. Isaac came Jacob. Jacob's name was turned to Israel. He had 12 sons. 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see the Jews came through who? Shem. Everyone see that? So then he blesses Shem. And here's the redemptive seed found in verse 27. It says, may God enlarge Japheth. So Japheth is the third son. Japheth is where the Gentiles. And this is so beautiful. It says, let God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Do you see it? Why? Because the seed of redemption would come through Shem. But Gentiles would be grafted into that. He would reconcile the world through the seed that would come through Shem. Uh, But Canaan, this is the promised land. These guys would move up here. This is where all the Ites come in, like the Hittites, the Amorites. The Jebusites, the cellulites, the electrolytes, (laughs) the termites, (laughs) all the ites. You with me? No? Um, And these guys would be, these guys ultimately would be, um, well, I'll talk about that here in a second. So I I just wanted to show you that because we're going to, we're going to hop into Genesis chapter 10. Uh, We see the seed of the serpent in Genesis chapter 10. Well, I'm sorry, you have the descendants of Noah. It's Genesis, so descendants of Noah. He looks at, uh, he looks at uh, Ham's descendants. He looks at Japheth's descendants. But then in, in chapter two, 11, you have the Tower of Babel. And so this is the seed of the serpent, again, working to the nation. So the people on the earth, uh, Babel was somewhere over here. Uh, Babel was somewhere in this region. It's not on this map. Let's call it someone. Uh, I'm not going to guess. <laughs> um, anyways, the, the, the nations gather together and the five wheels of Satan is it, it are alive in their hearts. He, he is at work in the people because they're going to erect a tower and it's a tower for themselves. It's a tower so that they can build a name up in the heavens that that's at work still in them. And so, So, you see that um, God comes down and confuses their language. And then in uh, Genesis 11, verse 10, you have the descendants of Shem. And so, here we're going to get into the narrative of Abraham. If you're with me, say amen. So, verse 27, um, actually, we'll look at 26. Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nora, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, we're going to read the promise that God makes with Abraham, but that the promise in Genesis chapter 12 was made in Ur calls him to go forth from his country. It was the country of Ur. And so verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Verse 30 is why I'm reading all this. Sarah was barren. She had no child. Now, I, I really like that The Bible puts this in Genesis chapter 11, because we're going to read in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham has received a promise. Abraham received a promise that uh, he is going to uh, have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Yet, Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 presents a massive problem to that promise. And here's what I want you to see, that oftentimes the plan of redemption, it, it comes through the most unlikely, unqualified people. And if you feel unlike, unlikely, unqualified, overlooked, if you feel barren, <laughs> I want you to know that you're set up God, not only was Sarai barren, but but Abram would have a a, a son, Isaac. Isaac would have a wife. What was Isaac's wife's name? Rebecca. Rebecca was barren. Isaac would have a son. Jacob. Jacob would marry Rachel. Guess what? She would barren too. And yet this is the line for the seed of redemption to be passed on to. This should, this should like, oh, these weren't like rock star, you know, women, like just cranking out kids. Like God's like, oh, there's a fertile one. No, like that, that wasn't the qualification. That wasn't the qualification. God, God qualifies the call. You've heard that said, but, but it's very important to see that like. Right here out of the gates, there's a problem in the plan. And and you're going to see that God, all God was looking for was faith. That's all he was looking for. He wasn't looking for muscle. He wasn't looking for giftedness. He wasn't looking for anything but faith. Someone that would believe that he was able to do what he said he would do. Tonight's no different. This is how redemption works. It's his work. And so... Ah, uh, Sarai was barren, she had no children. 1131, Terah took Abram and his son, Lot. Uh, t- t- Abram, his son, sorry, Abram didn't have a son as we just talked about. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, which would have been Abram's nephew, his grandson, uh, Sarai's daughter-in-law, Abram's wife, and they went together from Ur of the Chaldeans to in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. So they were called to go to the Promised Land. Correct? We're gonna look at another map. Come on, you can. Yeah, yeah I like that. So, all right. Yes. Yeah, so there's Babel. I knew Babel was around there. So there's Babel. But here's here's where uh, God called Abraham. So uh, this is this is Genesis 12. God calls Abraham, but he's with his father still. And his father is going to come up here to this place called Haran. Now, the promised land is down here. Well, at least this is modern day Israel. The promised land actually, we'll see it in just a second. But this is where he was calling him to go. But he went to Haran and he settled there. Now, was he supposed to settle there? No, he was supposed to go to the land that he was going to show him. Now, I don't know if his father-in-law convinced him that they had gone far enough. We do know that Haran was kind of a cultural epicenter uh, for the ancient world there. It would have been a place of influence. It would have been a great place to settle. You could have made a really good life there. Uh, But uh, the father uh, dies and Genesis 12 hits. And so I wanted just to show you that God is patient. In his call, he's patient. In fact, Genesis 12 is going to lead to Genesis 15. Genesis 15 is going to lead to Genesis 17. In those three chapters, God is going to say the same promise to the same man. And, and, and at least twice, it's like picked up in a carnal way. And he's like, I cannot reason myself from here to there. My wife is old. The wife's laughing in the tent as she's making food. But again, God was just looking for faith. And he is very patient With Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram. Go forth from your country. And from your father's house. To the land. Everyone say to the land. Which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse and you will, uh, and in, and in, you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the promise God made to Abraham. So verse four, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and lot went with, with him. Now, Abram was 75 years when he departed from Haran. So he's leaving this spot up here, up north. And he's heading to the promised land, a land that God would show him. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions, which they had accumulated, which he's living in the blessing already, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Morah. Now the Canaanites was then in the land. When he gets to the land, verse seven happens. I love verse seven. Is Shechem on here? I think it is. Yeah, there it is right there. Um, so they get to, to Shechem to the Oak of Morah and the Lord appears to Abram. So I think chapter 12, the promise was just a voice. But in verse 7 here, this is an actual, uh, I think it's called a theophany, where God is coming to Abraham. He's revealing himself to Abraham in the promised land when he gets there. Now think about this. This is the Lord. Wow. Now the Lord will appear to uh, Abram again two chapters later. He's going to show up at another place by some oaks of hombre, I think it is, Ombre whatever. Uh, But he shows up and they start having a conversation. And we know based on Galatians chapter three, verse eight, Galatians chapter three, verse eight, put this up. Check this verse out. This is about the man we're, we're, we're reading about art. I got you on the fly tonight, bro. I got maps. I got scriptures. I got a pen up here. Uh, Galatians three, eight. Look at this. This is about the brother we're talking about tonight, Abram who would become Abraham, but Galatians points to him and it says the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to who? Amen. To who? Amen. Our brother back here in Genesis chapter 12 13 14 and 15, who appeared to him to preach the gospel. Well, I believe it was through theophany that Jesus came to him. Now, think about this according to Genesis 3:15, the seeds You're, I mean, there's 28 generations between Abraham and Jesus. Abraham's over there. Jesus. Abraham. I was back there, I'm up there, but now I'm here. And I got a message for you there's a seed inside of you, and that seed is a plant of redemption. Like, think about that. Like, his future is coming to him, who was his past. Who's the voice that's calling him? (laughs) And he preaches the gospel to him. He talks about. He talks about Japheth in Shem, like, like the Gentile people will be redeemed through the Jewish nation. And I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation. The nations will be blessed. Why? Because there's a seed. What's inside of it? It's a seed of redemption. And look at what he says in verse 7. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants... I will give this what? To your descendants, I will give this land. So Abraham built an altar in that place. So there's, there's a couple of things I want to show you in, in, in the, the, the promise or covenant that God made with Abram. Um. just deciding how I want to show it to you because he, he makes this covenant and this promise, not only here in Genesis chapter 12, where he talks about land, he talks about making him a great nation, talks about blessing him, his name being great. But then um, the, the covenant is actually cut in Genesis 15. So the promise is made in Genesis 12, but covenant covenant biblically can't be made without a cutting. There has to be blood. There's, there's blood. Blood makes covenant. That's why we have the blood of the covenant. And so in Genesis chapter 15, um, God, God cuts covenant with Abraham. And it's really beautiful how he does it. Because in Genesis 15, which, which can we just read that? Can Are y'all, y'all want the Bible? We'll get Bible. All right, Genesis 15 verse 2. Going to read a lot. So this is. This is after Abraham and Lot split. Lot gets held captive by the guys in like Sodom and Gomorrah area. They go to battle. Melchizedek comes to Abram. And then here we are in Genesis 15. Um, the Lord shows up and says, don't fear. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. And then verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is El-Aziar for of Damascus. And Abram said, since you've given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is quoted by Paul in Romans 4, verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Again, land. I really want you to see land. It's one of the themes of tonight. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, turtle dove, young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid them Half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of the prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God spoke to Abram in this deep sleep. I guess it was like a dreamlike state, but he said, Know for certain that your descendants, so these are the descendants that he's prophesying about, will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. So what is God speaking about? From Abraham comes Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has a son named Joseph that's sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. There's a famine. The brothers come. They populate Egypt. And eventually they're under Egyptian bondage, which Moses comes forth and delivers them. But God is prophesying that in verse 13. So the nation that Abraham is carrying, we know this from his descendants, but we also know it from the biblical narrative because the Israelites were in Egyptian captivity and that's prophesied here in verse 13. You see that? So um, the, the, the... The the offerings that they made, it was a split offering. And um, this was a common offering back in the day. Uh, Ray talked about it today, why the specific animals were chosen that were chosen. I'm not gonna talk about that tonight. But what I want you to see is uh, that what would happen is, is two people that were making a covenant, they would walk in a figure eight, and then they would come to one end of the split offering. So These animals would be split on each side and they would walk through it together in covenant. And the agreement is, is, is this. It's we're going we're gonna to hold to this covenant that we're making. If we don't, this will happen to us. We will be cut in two. It was like a, 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 uh, a prophetic picture of like we are, we are joined together. And if we're not, we're going to be split. That, that's the, what's inferred here. But here's what's beautiful is that Abraham is put to sleep. And, and God actually walks through it. With God. It's a, an oven and a torch, and it's prophetic of Jesus, because Jesus is the light of the world. Am I right? So you got the torch that comes through. So God is basically making a unil, 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 What's a unil? Unilateral. Sorry. Unilateral. It happens once a message. Unilateral covenant. He's making an unconditional covenant. It's not based on Abram's obedience. It's based on God's agreement that God made with God. Um, And excuse me, my my wife's a speech therapist and I obviously need to go to her. Verse 18. um, Look at this. Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I've given this land. And then look at this. He defines the land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, Kenite, Kenazites. Here's all the ites, electrolytes, cellulites. They're all right here. Um, and, And so he defines the border. So in Genesis 12, it's pretty general, but in Genesis 15, it gets very defined. There's only one other place that God defines the borders of the promised land, and it's in Numbers chapter 34 when he's speaking to Moses. They're slightly different, but I don't want to get into the nuances. But here's what I want to show you about the promised land. Because when we think of Israel today, um, we, we, know it as, uh, we know it as a, a, a small little place uh, about the size of, of of Rhode Island or New Jersey in uh, the Middle East. But the borders that are to- talked about here in Genesis 15, that's the promised land according to Genesis 15. So one of the covenants, and this is, this is what I want to show you tonight. Um, the word "land" keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. It's not just a promised people, but it's a promised land. It's a, a great nation that will come forth. So um, let me give you four points out of this, and then these will not be long. But first is uh, the land. So it's a land that God has promised to Abraham and his descendants, which we've seen are the Hebrew and Israelite people uh, I want to I want to just show you how many times land shows up. I'm giving you a ton of scripture, but I'm not apologizing uh, Genesis 12:1 it says to the land I will show you uh, Genesis 12:7 to your descendants I will give land Genesis 15:7 I am the Lord who brought you out of the uh, Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it Genesis 15:18. Again, that's what we just read. It's the most specific to the descendants. I will give this land. Later in Genesis 17, 8, he says, I will give to you and to your descendants after you uh, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. Everyone say everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Uh, to Isaac, which is Abraham's son in Genesis 26, four, he says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars are in the heavens. I will give your descendants, all these lands and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Prophecies about the land. Um, in the Exodus account, uh, God is talking to Moses and he says, I will bring, this is Exodus six, eight. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham. So this is 500 years later. He's still remembering what he spoke to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 1.8. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them and to their offsprings after them. Genesis 50, verse 24. And to Joseph, he said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And David, when the tabernacle comes, uh, when David brings the ark into the tabernacle, they had forsaken it in the days of Saul. He puts it in the center of society. They're breaking out into song. And in 1 Chronicles 16:14, David sees it as a fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Look at this. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. What's my point? I really want you to see this. Oh, young heart is that the only nation that has a deed signed by almighty God is the nation of Israel. And I want you to see that it's a part of the plan of redemption, that this land isn't just the inheritance of Israel. It's the inheritance of Israel's Messiah. And that Messiah's name is Jesus. And to understand the covenant of Abraham and to see what God promised to Abraham, it gives us insight to what God's going to do in the future. It gives us insight to why there's so much swirl and animosity around the nation of Israel in the Middle East today. It informs us of prophecies spoken about not only here in the book of Genesis, but throughout the biblical narrative in Isaiah, in the book of Psalms in Jeremiah. We see prophecies pointing to the coming Messiah occupying a promised land. It's also in the book of Revelation. But I want you to see that it began in Genesis chapter 12. And it's threaded throughout the biblical narrative. Again, the work of salvation is complete on the cross, but the plan of redemption will be fulfilled when a Jewish man who is Lord and Savior, King, descends on a white horse and establishes his throne from Jerusalem, it's his home city. So this is the promise of the Messiah. Jesus is coming back. Yeah, right. yeah. Like, I don't know of a nation more hated. I don't know of a people that have been treated. I mean, within the last hundred years, the Holocaust alone, anti-Semitism is real. And if we're not rooted in God's view of the Hebrew people, there's a cultural narrative. Oh, it'll come. It's emerging subtly, but I want you to be rooted in what scripture says about his people, about his land, about his second coming. You're like, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. I know. And that's been part of the problem is we've created a theology that puts us in their place. And I'm not saying, listen, I, I am not saying that, that we, we have a place, but we provoke them to jealousy. And, and that jealousy is under them coming to know him. It says all Israel will be saved. It says all in Romans 11. I read it today. I was meditating on it. I was bringing it before the Lord. I was like, what did you mean by that? And he said, all, okay. And listen, there's layers to this. I know there's, there's geopolitical ramifications to this. I get it. But, but I, God is sovereign. And God has chosen a people. Why did he choose them? Why did he choose you? He's sovereign. And we need to understand that. But we can't replace in this plan of redemption, us with them and some dangerous, dangerous theologies have come forth and, 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 and the church is actually, well, I'm be careful. We just have to be careful, have to be careful. And, and there's prophecies of the future. So I, I just want to show you like how precious the land is. If you're with me, just say amen and put a smile yeah. on your face. All right. All right. I'm, I'm hitting you. I know that it's probably being taught a lot unfortunately. But uh, Joel, Joel, Joel three, there's these prophecies end time prophecy. We love Joel two. Joel two is what Peter preaches in the last days, pour out my spirit, your sons and daughters. That's the first Christian sermon, Joel chapter two, but Joel three moves into a coming day. Joel three moves into a coming reality. Look in Joel three. Verse two, I will gather all the nations. This is a future reality. And I will bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. This is not my assistant Jehoshaphat. This is actual Valley in Israel. But listen to this, listen, I, I, I I know we have like, there's, there's, there's a Jesus of justice. that's going to be revealed soon. It's a big topic right now. Justice who's going to win out in your heart to define what justice is today from masks to vaccines to gender issues to sexuality. Like everyone's crying injustice. but there's a man of justice. That's right. yes, sir. Come on. And this speaks of that day. He, he, he will wrong. He will right every wrong. He's going to be thorough in his judgments. He's going to be thorough in bringing his kingdom to the earth. And this speaks of it, but look at why he's going into judgment with the nations. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. You can find the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's a real place. I'm going go there today. There I will enter into judgment with him, with all the nations on behalf of my people who are my people My inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. Look at the next. And they've divided up my land. What have they divided up? The promised land. There's a book. It's really an interesting read. It's called Eye to Eye. And it's, it's a, it's a guy by the name of William Koegnig who was a white house correspondent for 16 years. And, um, he wrote a book on facing the consequences of dividing Israel. And I mean, if you're into this, this is like super geeky read, but I'll sum it up for you. I'll sum it up for you. He has 126 catastrophes and events. Documented. The, end of, the last one's June 2017. When America, when America uh, was, he, he, he connects events to times that America did not stand with Israel. Where we pressured them to peace for land or whatever. He, 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 he documents it in this book, the big book. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that curse you. It's good to be on Israel's side. Is she perfect? No. But again, we, we've, got to have, we've got to have this before us. We look, uh, not only in Joel 3, so that's Joel 3.2. Go to Joel 3.12. Let the nations be aroused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There you are again, Joel. I think you're named appropriately. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe, come thread, the wine press, the vats overflow for the weakness is great. Look at the next one. Uh, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Um, this is just speaking of that, that moment where they'll, they'll come and the Lord will judge uh, the nations. But, so this is, this is, uh, is pointing to the second coming of Jesus. But then you have, lastly, and I'm going to land this, if you look in Ezekiel chapter uh, 47, it talks about the millennial reign of Jesus. In Ezekiel 47, verse 14, I believe it is, uh, he speaks of the inheritance, the land being an inheritance, which is Jesus reigning, and they're going to live in that land. Uh, you can look that up in a little bit. Um, so here's the blessing. you got the land. This is what he tells, uh, Abraham, he says, I'll make your name. Great. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that curse you. <clears throat> uh, w- w- we're going to look a little bit more just for time's sake. I'm going I'm to move us into ministry and prayer. Um, you know, Israel and the Hebrew people are supernaturally blessed. We could look at a ton of statistics, uh, but one of the ones that that I recently read that was just mind-boggling to me is the number of Jewish recipients there's been for the Nobel Peace Prize. The Nobel Peace Prize is just given um, for contributions to mankind. Someone invents something, writes something just deeply impactful to mankind. Uh, There's been 902... Nobel Peace Prizes awarded. Of the 902, uh, 203 were Jews. 22% of Nobel Peace Prizes were given to Jewish people. The nations will be blessed through you. The Jewish people make up 0.2% of the world's population. 0.2% two, and yet 22% the recipients of this award in the last hundred years given to Jewish people. It's just, if you look at even the Genesis, the, the, the regathering of the Jewish people, where I think it was 680,000 uh, came back to the land in May 14th of 1948. Um, the I don't want to get too deep in this, but the war that took place, not only in 1948, but also the Six-Day War in 1967, it's supernatural that Israel was able to do what they did. They, they did not have the manpower, military, intelligence. They had God. And there are, there are noted, uh, I wish Rabbi was here, I'd throw him up, but noted uh, testimonies from soldiers on both sides where there was a small Israeli army pulling up, on the horizon and the enemy saw this multitude of soldiers and fled. Um, Like they should not have taken the land that they took. And uh, and yet we know that it's a promised land. Uh, And even what's happened to the land in the last 70, 80 years is supernatural. Mark Twain traveled to it I think it was in the late 1800s, and he called it desolate. He called it a wasteland. He was like, who would want this? What kind of promise is this? And uh, and now if you go over there, it's beautiful. It's it's desirable. It's, it's amazing what has taken place since 1948. Um, it is, you know, the epicenter for the Middle East. Um, and we need to stand with her. We need to pray for her. So... Uh, Let me just close with this. Why did God choose Israel? It was sovereign. It was his purpose to do it. Uh, He can do it because he's God. Um, I also want you to know that when he chose them, uh, the term land, when we're reading land, it means land. Uh, It's a piece of real estate in the Middle East. Um, I think one of the things the church has done is called land heaven. It's not that, although heaven's coming to earth, (laughs) but there's a defined region um, that is a promised land for them. Uh, I heard someone say, if, 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 if Israel's enemies knew how much land God wanted to give Israel or promised Israel, uh, they'd probably leave them alone <laughs> based on what they're currently occupying. Um, it's supernatural that they're even a nation. The Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Hittites, they don't have a zip code today. Why? Because they're ancient history. But the Israeli people that we see came through Abraham are alive today. Um, replacement theology is real. Uh, replacement theology is a theology that replaces any mention of Israel with the church. And it's a really dangerous approach to scripture. Um, it's dangerous because it, 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 it makes the church, um, we become self-centered, I believe. It devalues the role of Israel. Um, It can lean towards uh, anti-Semitism in word and deed. Uh, I think we lose out on the opportunity to participate in God's plan and prophecy for church and Israel and the world today. Um, uh, Many of the New Testament passages don't make sense when the church is viewed as replacing the Jewish people. It just doesn't make sense. So what happens when the church relates to Israel? The church takes its proper role in God's redemptive plan for the world, appreciating God's ongoing covenant relationship and love for Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, We can see the consistencies of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to the book of Revelation as an ongoing complementary process, not as disconnected snapshots. There really, there's a continuity to it. Uh, We show love and honor for God's covenant people, not contempt for them. We value the old Testament and new Testament equally as inspired and significant for the church today. And then again, Bible prophecy makes sense for today and offers opportunities for involvement in God's plan for Israel. So the Abrahamic covenant, the plan of redemption involves the Hebrew people. And we as Gentiles, I don't know if we have Jewish people in the room, I may have you stand up and just bless you today, but we, as Gentile people, we need to pray for our Jewish friends. We need to pray for Israel. We need to be ready to stand with her. Uh, the Bible says in the days ahead that there's, there's a lot that's going to surround Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And I think we need to be ready to stand with them, and it's one of the ways we're going to witness to them. Um, all right. That's the Abrahamic covenant, specifically around land. I'll... Uh, I may do part two next week, and then we'll get into the Mosaic covenant a little bit. But we're going to, my goal is to look at the Mosaic covenant. There's a Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, which is probably one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament that point to the millennial uh, kingdom. But my hope and heart is just to get you deeper in the word on Sunday nights. Is that cool? So it's going to be more teachy. That's why I got this cool board. (laughs) I feel like I'm in my USM room, but um, I really want to, oh my gosh, can you even read this? It was terrible. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, you may have not heard a word I said, and that's okay. Uh, but you're still in the room and so is Jesus and he loves you. And, uh, ultimately all of this is under the knowledge of him. I've been arrested by the Lord. Like he's changed my life. And, um, I wanna care about what he cares about. My life seems to work. I know that he cares about me, but when I grow into understanding what he cares about and what he sees, my life just seems to work. My life seems to make sense. My life seems to function better when I have his desires and his perspective. And so part of me presenting all this is so that your heart can start to view your life through a greater lens. There's a much bigger story going on than just what you see. And if you can tap in to his narrative and his story, all of a sudden it brings meaning and purpose and life and fulfillment and hope to yours. This isn't just a historical like rendering of an Old Testament You know, some old dude, thousands of years that made covenant with God, it involves you today. You were thought of in that moment. And so I want to kind of provoke hope and faith and zeal for things beyond Twitter and Instagram and the here and the now. There's an eternal reality that's at play today. And we can just get sucked into the me thing like, oh, it really is all about me. No, it's not. And that's good news. Amen.